Salutations and welcome to another episode of The Native Immigrants. I'm your host, Swami Barakas, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jojo underscore B. What's going on, Jojo B? Hello! So, uh, our last show, uh, I spoke about how I kept things very professional <laughs> and how the quality was paramount and how, you know, no stone was unturned because everything was seen through a fine-tooth comb when putting our podcast together. Yes. And in the same episode, all kinds of faults. Well, the word tits was said a lot. Yeah. And saying tits is fine because we're we're profane at the best of times. But it was over like the most important part of the show in terms of talking about hyperemesis and, you know, a documentary. Yeah, a documentary as well that we were trying to promote and push to get more people to watch. And then all of a sudden, excerpts from an earlier conversation, snippets were basically just put in the middle of some of these conversations i have no idea how that happened i tell you it was a computer fault i can't imagine you would just you know drag and drop tits into everything <laughs> just to, just to take the piss basically <laughs> do you know what i mean just for bants i decided to just throw tits in there um yeah, it's a great word isn't it it's is an amazing word. really really I satisfying it's, it, but, it's one of those, tits. but it's one of those words where i feel like it, people don't say it enough when i think of like the word tits I immediately think of like, you know, like carry on films of the 70s and 80s. No one ever said the word tits in there, but it's like the image you have in your head. Or like, you know, that Samantha Fox of like, like page three, the old yeah. Sundays. That's when I think, when I think of the word, you know, tit. I, can't, I feel bad saying the word tits, but tits. you know, you know. Um, They're a type of bird. They are a type of bird. <laughs> Do you prefer a brown tit or a blue tit? Blue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, you know, each, each to their own preference wise obviously um we are a show that um you know endorses um multiracial uh, love so um you know whatever tickles your fancy is you all know I can say. we're obsessed with it i don't know who told these guys but we're obsessed with the show tenable <laughs> yes and so um we used to watch a lot of tenable especially when um i was towards the end of my maternity leave mm. and uh yeah a lot, a lot of Tenable. But there's an episode where they ask for the top 10 birds. Top 10 tits. Top 10 birds. And honestly, like literally every other one was tits. And it's just, yeah. it's Warwick no Davis's face. Laughter, Warwick Davis's face when he had to say tit over and over Yeah. Again. He kept his composure. <laughs> Kept his composure all the way through. Unlike, He's a legend, that man. Unlike us with the last show, because I realized um, in the morning of the show going out when listening back on, uh, you know, just to check the quality of it, that this was happening frequently through the show. <laughs> it so it, it managed to get out there in the, in the World Wide Web, apart from on SoundCloud, where there's one little bit that I've missed somehow, which I'm really pissed off about. So. Tits. Um, apologies <laughs> to all others. Shut up. You know. um, <laughs> apologies, one for Jojo B, because she literally has no chill. I'm so childish. Um, a, a mother of one. And um, apologies to, to all, and yeah, apologies to all our listeners who may have potentially been offended. Um, honestly, this is um, a very, very rare occasion. It's like the only time this has ever happened in our 50 plus shows 
of the native immigrants um, and we'll do everything we can in our power to ensure that doesn't happen again. Yes. The worst part is people probably didn't even notice that the first time around. Now they go back to the last show and just try to find the place where it's at. Listen out for the tits. Stop saying tits. <laughs> Look, I can say as much as I want when I talk about something serious right now. Anyways, uh, back to the show. First of all, a massive Eid Mubarak to all our peoples that are celebrating this past weekend. Hope you all had an amazing day with all your loved ones. I hope you kept safe is the most important thing. Um, social distancing. Social people. distance celebrating uh, for all my followers and friends who celebrated. Um, yeah, unfortunately, not the the best way to, to celebrate what is a massively auspicious day, you know, in the calendar with what's happening right now in the world. But, you know, as long as your loved ones are safe and well, that's as big a celebration as anything right now. And, you know, all the thoughts go out to all those people who had to spend it, you know, away from their families because of circumstances. Mm. Um, that have people that have actually been following government guidelines, unlike the government themselves, who literally don't give a fuck about their own guidelines, to be fair. Looking straight at your direction, Dominic Cummings. But this was a, an amazingly massive day for the islamic community and we here at the native immigrants celebrate with you so i hope you all had an amazing one Eid Mubarak. yes also we were talking about representation on tv did you see on on sunday they had saturday kitchen special oh yes it was like an eid special amazing and they had asma khan on there she was making just the most delicious looking food and they had adil ray presenting co-presenting with matt tebbett mm. and um it just looked Great. That table of food yeah. looked so unbelievably delicious. There was Samia and there was Jalibia. Samosa. And Samosa. And I just, I'm dribbling thinking about it. Mm. So if you got to eat all that stuff, I'm very jealous. And yeah. I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you did enjoy it. But it is a massive look um, because I've never really seen uh, an out and out celebration like that on, on any of the Saturday morning ki like kitchen shows. Um, they really showcase from the start of the show all the way to the end, focus specifically on Eid. Yeah. Um, and I saw Mo Farah as well on there. So it was a, a diverse range of people on there talking about the celebration themselves and what they're getting up to, yeah. isolated in their own specific homes. Um, but yeah, like we said the last week's show, representation on television. And, you know, here was an opportunity for the Beeb to, to showcase um, how diverse they are even though we feel sometimes they're not necessarily that. Um, but they, yeah, they came through. You know? Yeah, I thought it was really well done. I really enjoyed watching it. They really kind of took into account the different cultures that celebrate Eid as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can be Muslim, but from various different parts yeah, of the world. Kind of Africa, uh, Asia, like, yeah, anywhere. Yeah, exactly. And they tried to represent as much of that as they could. And I thought the, again, the food looked delicious. Mm. And the chat as well. So, you know, there's... Adol Ray kind of explaining what his life was like, you know, growing up, celebrating Eid and what he does with his family. Yep. And Asma Khan talking about, you know, her experiences growing up in India and celebrating Eid. So, yeah, it was really, really interesting. And I want to try some of those recipes. Yummy, yummy indeed. Um, so, Jojo B, you were back on the Sisterhood of Mummy Imperfect podcast. I was. Shout to Rina. Yay. Thank you for having me on again. Um, yes, I was talking about... The silver linings that have come through from being in lockdown, you know, given that it's such a terrible time and the world is in turmoil and, you know, and it's just not very nice in general. But what are the small things that are 
making life a bit more pleasant and making mm. it a bit easier and what you know what have I managed to get out of it so there was a lot of mums talking about their experiences and you know and everyone was talking about having more time with their kids and that was a common theme and just you know getting to know your kids again and, and spending that time because a lot of people you know you work in full time your kids are yep. in school you see each other in the evening you go to bed that's it you don't really have that kind of quality time so having that also just you know the things that I've been up to the additional stuff that I've been doing so mm some exercise that I've started doing and a course that I've started doing. So it's just kind of talked about that. Awesome. Uh, you want to hear more, you have to listen to her podcast. And where can people listen to the podcast? It's on Apple Podcasts. Nice. And it's called The Sisterhood of Mummy Imperfect. Yes. Shout out to Rena, who will actually be joining us in the second half of this show. Boop. When we talk about mixed race relationships. And if we've actually come forward in any way, and whether it's now socially acceptable or not. Yeah. Um, but what's happening this week, Jojo B? This week, there is actually an online literary festival that focuses on South Asian authors. Nice. Happening. Yeah. So from the 28th to the 31st of May, there's going to be lots of different events going on. You can find out all about those on Eventbrite. You can get tickets to them, but it's free. So you can kind of just... Get your invitation and you can just tune in when it, as and when it's happening. Oh, nice. Um, there are people like Angela Seni, mm -hmm. Nikesh Shukla. Who he? Well, if you'd like to find out, you can go back and listen <laughs> to our show. Episode 51. That's the one. Uh, there's Coco Khan, Asma Khan. Asma Khan, look at her getting yeah, around. Yeah, exactly. Big off herself. Um, and Hussein Kiswani. Nice. And lots and lots of other authors are getting involved and there's panels and there's all sorts of stuff going on. Really, really interesting sounding discussions happening. And yeah, you should just kind of go and find out. It's called the South Asian Literary Festival. Does Wicked. what it says on the tin. Yes. And it's happening between the 28th and the 31st. Yeah, I think uh, Dr. Pragya Agarwal actually put this together. She did. Which is an amazing look. Um, yeah, you know, shout out to our friends at Asia House. They have the Literature Festival, the Bargri Foundation Literature Festival that happens in autumn every year. Yeah. Um, you know, God willing, basically, that we have it again this year. But obviously... Uh, global events may uh, put pay to that. Well, um, a lot of these events are happening online. So the Hay Festival, I think, happened last week. And that's another literary festival. And that's that was all online. Again, it was free. And I think you can still go back and kind of look at some of the stuff that they've done as well. So there's one um, that I really want to see, which is Do Dr. Adam Rutherford talking about how to talk to a racist. Okay. Which sounds really interesting, but there's loads of other stuff that went on there as well. So if you're interested, there are lots of online events that you can get involved in and kind of go and, and view these discussions that are happening. Yeah, but definitely go and support this one. You know, on that episode with Nikesh, we were talking about, you know, trying to support and promote the South Asian author. Absolutely. And so this event is catering to all those needs, some incredible writers involved as well. Um, and so, yeah, you know, tune in, you know, get onto Eventbrite, see if you can get to all the different events that are taking place online. Um, and yeah, feel inspired. Uh, this is the time right now to get your creative hats on during this current lockdown for however long it is. And this might be a way to help you into that process. And take a break from Netflix. Like I've been watching... <laughs> This isn't South Asian, but I've been, I'm slightly obsessed with uh, Taika Waititi mm. reading James and the Giant Peach. It's on <laughs> YouTube and it's absolutely amazing. He brings in his friends, mm. you know, and his friends being people like Meryl Streep and 
uh, Chris Hemsworth and nice. Luke Hemsworth and, you know, various other people getting involved. Cara Delevingne, all those people kind of coming in together and reading parts of James and the Japanese. I just love it. I watch it before I go to bed because it makes me feel really happy and it puts me in a good place. Lovely. So, you know... Take or you could just read James and the Giant Peach, to be fair. But uh, there's something special about Taika Waititi reading it because mm. he just brings so much character to it. For sure. Um, but I just, you know, my point being, just take that step away from Netflix or from Amazon Prime. And there's lots more content out there that's exactly. worth discovering. Absolutely. And you might hear of new writers and people you've never come across over the course of this festival this week. And, you know, tell them that you heard it here first. And talking of literature, we just got sent a brand new book uh, by British Indian author Saurav Dutt. Um, and he's just released a new book about the life and career of the legend Amitabh Bachchan. Oh my God, this book is right up your street. Absolutely 100% for people that know me know that he's my idol, the man I love, the man I want to emulate financially. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, but the novel itself, uh, it follows a 12-year-old boy from the poorest district of Mumbai and his cinematic obsession with Amitabh Bachchan and his dreams to help bring his family out of poverty. Often emulating the angry young man of Zanjir, the tragic anti-hero of Diwar and the entertainer of Amar Akbar Anthony. So all of my favourite films in that one sentence. Okay, fine. Um, so we've just been sent this book by Saurav and so I am going to read this book and then review it on one of our next shows. It might be a while. I'll read it this week, fam. <laughs> In between looking after our baby and working and doing my own writing, I will find time for this. I'm All a right. multitasker, fam. All right, fine. But I'm yeah, I'm going to read this with delight. And thank you so much to Sora for sending that through to us. Is it fiction? It is a fictional book. Oh, okay. I see. I thought it, it was a um, biography. But okay, that's I mean, it would be like the five millionth biography of yeah. Amitabh Bachchan if he was out there in the world. That's, that's um, an interesting take. I might read it after you. <laughs> no. What? You just come into it with just like, oh, Amitabh, no, you know, it's up Well, it is up your street and it's good. You only ever read books about wrestlers otherwise, so yeah. it's good. Well, exactly. And boxes. Yeah, well, exactly. fighting is all about <laughs> what I'm about. And obviously the angry young man is all about fighting. So this is right up my street. And you are very much an angry man. Not mm. so young anymore, but very angry. He's giving me a look of anger right now. With my fucking old eyes. Yes. And then you produced an angry young man. Well, yeah, exactly. The next generation of angry young man inspired by the legend, the Big B. Um, but thank you so much to Saurav. And I will be talking about it in one of our next shows. Right, that is it from the first half of The Native Immigrants. We're back on the other side. We'll be tackling another juicy topic of agenda. Mixed race relationships. Are they now finally approved for my elders? See you on the other side, people. Welcome back to the second half of the Native Immigrants. 
I'm Swami Barakas. And I'm Jojo B. And so this past weekend, we watched a film on Netflix, pretty much as everyone is doing currently right now on one of the streaming services for the last couple of months. Um, and it was called The Lovebirds. And I guess it's a new film that's on there right now. And what intrigued me was that it starred Kumal Nanjiani and Issa Rae as the lead pair. Now, the film itself was, yeah, it was okay. No, I really enjoyed it. What are you on about? It was like a, a fun caper film. A fun caper, you know? Yeah, and those two are really good leads. Like, they kind of carry, I mean, if it had been anybody else, I don't think it would have been as fun. Mm. But I think they kind of carry the film through. I think it was okay. It was okay. It wasn't, it was not going to set the world on fire. No, it's a time pass, but it's an enjoyable time pass. It's a time, time pass. pass. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. A, it was a time pass more than anything else. Yeah. Um, but what I got out of it more than anything else was it's, Probably the first film that I know from from my experiences of watching films for the last forty years of an Asian, a South Asian man and a black woman as yeah. the lead characters. You know, if you told me this, say, ten, twenty, thirty, forty years ago, it just would never have happened. No, and it does. It, ba- it barely happens now. Yeah. So it was really. It's not mentioned. It's not like a thing. Exactly. They're just a couple who are in love and, you know, they've been in a relationship for a while. And mm. it's just, I loved the fact that it wasn't a thing. Exactly. It's 100%. They're it just was people. Just very, very refreshing. And it sort of then, you know, got me thinking of just mixed race relationships within our community in, in general. And have we come to a point now after all these years where... It's no longer a thing, you know. It it was always, you know, we talk about loads of taboos on our show within our community, and you know, marrying outside your culture, marrying outside your religion, and all these things was was one of the big kind of no nos back in that the eighties and couldn't even marry 90s. outside your caste. Never exactly. mind anything else. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, how many of your parents, um, and I'm talking about people potentially in our age group, you know, how many of them have actually married out of people that live within half a mile of their gum, to be fair. Um, you know, most of the people that are listening to this, that have Asian parents, were predominantly all arranged marriages. If you were one of the lucky ones that was a love marriage, it was, you know, they probably jumped through all kinds of loopholes to get to that position. Um, but, you know, for the majority, it was very much a no-no, you know, marrying outside your caste even at that point. And for this, I think... When we talk about mixed race couples, I think we've got to really differentiate in terms of the different races now because we're we've reached that point now in society mm. where I feel seeing a, a white person with an Asian person together is like a nothing to me. There's a, a number of uh, white and Asian marriages in my family. Exactly, and know, I grew up with them. Yeah. I, also, there's a huge number of people within our life, close friends of ours, that are married, white, Asian, together. Yeah. No issues. You know, I don't. I, I, I say no issues. I'm sure within their own individual families, families there was. A oh yeah, there bit was. Of, there was definitely issues with the people that I know, the exactly. girls that I know. It's always the girls that seem to get it the worst. That yeah, I feel. That's it was the girls that I know that got married to white men that had to take a lot of shit from their families. Yeah. And then as soon as the deed was done, like mm. as soon as the marriage was done, they said, all right, 
Yeah, you know, exactly, once the wedding yeah. is done, the papers are signed. Oh, all right, fine then. Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. all get on like you know, a house on fire. Of course, all the families were together, and you were like, "Why did you kick up all the fuss in the first place? Yeah, if exactly. This is how it's all going to be for fuck's sake." Exactly. Then they're like, "Yeah, that's my favorite son-in-law." You're like, "What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why do you have to make her life so difficult?" But you know, that's... it's the Asian thing to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I feel when you see white and Asian couples, um, yeah, I think it's it's become almost like a normality now. That you know mm. we've we've finally thankfully reached the time and space where that's no longer an issue for and I'm talking elders you know within our community you know it's there's always going to be the odd cases and stuff like that but on the whole you know there it, it's always led to like a harmonious all round family relationship yeah you know in my family actually there's also uh, quite a lot of Chinese blood in my family okay yeah. Not in my line, like not in my kind of direct line, but like my close family, mm. extended family. Yes, that we've got, so, which is always, it makes sense, I suppose, because India and China are so close together. Yeah. But you don't really see it that often. But my family lived in Indonesia. It kind of happened. And yeah, it's like. It it's, amazes it's me that because you, you've got so, such, so much of a diverse range of communities within your family. Yeah. And so you that open your mind up to, you know, like not be so narrow minded, but yet you're racist against Gujaratis. Which I just find fascinating <laughs> for someone me. that's so worldly wise. Before you were ever even like a thought in my mind and before I even knew who you were, I had Gujarati family. Mm. Mm. My Chachi is Gujarati. Mm. My cousins are half Gujarati. Yeah, we should all add these all into a whole line of T-shirts, basically at Jojo V, basically <laughs> un- underscore V. So at the I end grew of it. up with I grew up with that culture in my life. Anyway, for this show, I feel the focus should really be more on black and Asian relationships. Yes, based off of what the film we saw that weekend, which was a, a real eye opener for me, because it really did beg the question: Now, is that are we? in a good place now for that to happen mm-hmm. and i guess when i th- look back on everyone that i know within my life that i've seen with black and asian relationships it's it's few and far between um but i'm gonna um talk about something very personal now uh for listeners of our podcast uh, he doesn't like talking about personal stuff. I'm not. I don't. I'm, I'm quite an open person, but you know, for you know, some things in my life, that's my own personal memories and personal experiences. I don't need to air them all out in public for people to get to know me better. That's that's my job. Usually, I usually am the one who tells everyone everything yeah, about myself. Yeah, yeah. More so than people need to hear sometimes. Um, Mate, yeah, I'm interesting. Subjective. <laughs> so. My very first long-term girlfriend, the first love of my life, was a black girl. And how old were you when this happened? I was 20 years old. Oh, so it wasn't like playground, you no, know, like no, seven-year-old no. kind of... Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, it's not one of them kind of like, you know... Uh, Puppy I, love. Yeah, send them a little <laughs> note basically saying, do you want to kiss behind the shed, bike sheds? And then she's like, okay. Oh. And then you get together and they're just like, you know, touching faces without knowing what to do in terms of kissing and shit. Uh, no, no, no. I was a, you know, legal adult by that point. Um, and yeah, the the f- very first long-term girlfriend for me uh, was a black girl. And 
it's 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 crazy looking back on it now um like how we got together because she was also like um i come from quite a religious background which i've spoken about before on this show but she was also from quite a religious background from her end she was a pentecostal and her family were at church like every sunday and they used to do like gospel her, like her brothers were both part of this gospel choir oh wow and and so they were really like immersed within that culture themselves yeah and so was she and so you know we're two people from very two very different walks of life basically coming together and it wasn't i think initially it was never a thing that oh i'm getting together with a black girl and she, and she the same getting together with an asian guy it was just, you know, you you clicked who you click with. Yeah, two people coming together and falling in love. Yeah, in that space and time. And and I guess because I this you know, I met her through uni and so I was around a very much a diverse range of people. Um, mm. you know, compared to what it was like for me in school where it was all Asian. And, you know, so I always had a little bit of a more of a like a narrow minded, youthful view about life in that you know it's all about asian asian and we don't mix with other people's cultures and all this kind of thing and uni really changed me when you come from that kind of neighborhood that toxic environment no the <laughs> south all you know at that point especially wasn't very diverse nope and so you only know what you're brought up around yeah yeah you're product of your environment yeah like and so it's only when you got outside of that that you kind of expand your mind mm. and understand the world a bit better yeah and that's why going away to university can be it's such so a, a important. great thing. I didn't go away to university. I learned about life when I moved to London. Look afterwards. how you turned up. No, but you know, like I think it's really, if you can, it, it can be a really good um, way of kind of introducing you to the wider world. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's you know, when I say going to university, you know, the, the studying part of it is one thing, but it's also the life experiences that you get and, and acquire during that time as well. Yeah. You know, especially if you're like from areas like mine, which is very much like a one race area as yeah. such, you know, which um which is mad when you think about it and stuff, you know, in the UK here and you've got pockets of the UK, which are so heavily you know asian popular segregated almost in that instance yeah and so you know to then go from that into a much more diverse range you know a more reflection of what the rest of the uk is like you know that was a massive culture shock you um, didn't even move that far away yeah exactly i was just there in bedford so it wasn't even that far yeah um but it just meant that you know i could now you know mix and mingle with so many different people from so many different you know races of people here in the uk um which was amazing for me because it was like oh my god like there's you know white people are really interested you know black people oh my god <laughs> these guys are awesome you know just just stupid youthful me um finally being exposed to what life is all about you know um and and that's how we met and um you know we got together and we were together for i think it was almost like two and a half three years at so that pretty point. much all of uni well, it was after uni is when like we kind of got together towards the end of university. Oh, okay, fine. I left uni. I must have been like twenty one, so we must have got together just literally before that, and then we were together till I was about twenty three, maybe twenty four. So, had you moved home then? Yes, I was back home by that point. So, how did you manage that? Right. So, um, I have uh, a close relationship with my mum. Yeah. You know, and uh, so I thought. I could tell her about this 
and it wouldn't be so much of an issue. She'd just be like, oh, okay, that's really nice of you. Oh, you know? dear. Because she was always open with me having relationships and being, you know, she didn't want to be that kind of mum that would be like, you, here's the person you're going to marry and, I, you know, this is what your life's going to be like and how it's going to pan out. She's very much a liberal mum. And so she was always kind of like, you know, go to uni, you know, if you want to be in relationships and do this and, and get together with women and all that, that's absolutely no problem at all. You know, I've said a story before about, you know, <laughs> had the sex talk with her and everything and stuff. So, <laughs> you know, Asian Asian parents don't normally do that, especially no, they people don't. there in her age group and stuff compared to even parents now for fuck's sake it blows my mind what boys get versus girls get i know honestly it's yeah it's sad times um and so i thought i could tell her about this uh what i realized very quickly was the reaction that she gave me wasn't one of you know overcoming joy so she um, was liberal but to a certain extent yes and then beyond that was like no yes right, um okay. you know because my mom is the only person i could tell really in my family about that my dad would have been an absolute no no 100 percent. he's we've I've, I've spoken about my dad on umpteen number of occasions already on this show about how old school he is and his thinking and how uh he's not you know open to us seeing girls let alone basically getting involved in people outside of our culture at yeah, that point he, in time he's very much old school he wanted you to marry within your caste and yes. all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah exactly exactly which none of you did <laughs> no exactly yeah yeah with with a pride and joy in his eye um but you know my mom said her exact i think i remember her exact words were that i'd be very disappointed in you if you you know get involved with her oh wow yeah i think i believe those that were those were exact words um and I, I, I was just, you know, I was more shocked by it more than anything else. But then looking back on it, I'm thinking, should I really have been that shocked? You know, um, at that time, I didn't know anyone um, else amongst any of my circles that was together with someone outside of their race, which is a crazy way to think even to this day. You know, it was weird. All the Asians were together with the Asians. All the white people were together with white people. Damn. Um, and, and no way would I ever see a, a black person and an Asian person together. Or if I did, it would have been such a, a one-off, basically, amongst all that time period. Um, so, you know, when I look back on it, it was, you know, we're talking about what now? This is 20 years ago. Mm. And so at, for that time, that would have been um, a real like anomaly, almost in a way. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I think it was, yeah, it was, it was the same as what, as the eighties. I think nothing had changed really at that point in the nineties. Yeah. I don't think there, there was no real open-mindedness. Mm. I remember members of my family trying to marry uh, white people and there being a lot of conflict. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I can only imagine that your mom probably wasn't very pleased with you. No, not at all. Um, but, you know, she eventually kind of, sort of not wore down <laughs> basically by it but i think in the back of her mind i think she always had in in her thinking that i'm not going to marry her eventually so she was like well you know you know you can be together for you know however amount of time but i know you'll end up marrying someone within our culture anyway i think that was her thought process at the time you were very young i suppose yeah exactly and so you know at that point in time it was just about you know exploring new relationships and stuff for me but you know when you're when you're together with someone especially that early on you know because you're still in your early 20s you're still it's all about infatuation isn't exactly, it exactly yeah. you know um and so everything gets heightened emotionally all the time hormones yeah um and so we always 
talked about marriage you know we always discussed it because we were like what what do we do because both of our families will be so averse to this happening you know so from her side as well they would not have been okay with it yeah completely not because like i said she's also from a very religious background yeah and so for her family to accept me would have been just as much of an issue as my family accepting her did they know about you no Why? but then it was but you know it was really weird i so was you were both keeping secrets from your family yeah well i well i my mum knew about me her mum didn't know about us right which yeah. i find really naive because i was like around literally like all the time and so like you know imagine a dude comes around to your house all the time at that point and you're just like yeah we're just friends from a from a parental perspective you must be thinking in the back of your mind surely something must be going on well, here well maybe she knew and she didn't want to think about it because probably you know like precious daughter and all that mm. or you know maybe she just thought well, fizzle out eventually like your mom thought yeah and so yeah. she just thought it's not worth the argument yeah yeah potentially or maybe she's just very naive <laughs> maybe just very naive um who's to know uh, but all i know is like you know we we spent those two and a half years three years even together on and off towards the last time towards the last couple of years and i think it we both realized in our minds that we couldn't be together it was really sad for us because uh, we realized outside factors would probably be more of a defining you know influence in terms of our decision making um because neither of us really wanted to hurt our families we're both very family orientated yeah. so it was we almost like had to i don't want to use the word sacrifice because that's quite that's a big statement but we almost had to put like our feelings to one side but it is a sacrifice you have to sacrifice your relationship for the sake of keeping everybody else happy yeah so it is a sacrifice because you didn't really want to not be with each other yeah i mean it worked out for me but like you, <laughs> but you didn't want to not be with each other it's just that you felt like you couldn't be yeah no this is it you know and it was it was very tough to take at the time and i think when we initially made that decision uh, we kept getting back together a bit and then then realizing we couldn't do this and getting back together and then because there was so much of that we towards the last kind of year or so we had a few arguments and then it it just kind of it fizzled in the end Puts which is quite on sad things, doesn't it yeah because it clouds your way of thinking a lot of the time you know takes the fun out of it as well. yeah exactly mm. um and you know i haven't seen or spoken of her since basically i think we spoke a couple of times on emails and here and there but um, i think she married and stuff and you know had had kids i think um but um but it it does kind of like you know make me think in terms of if this had happened now would i have been in a different frame of mind if i was the same age you know as now if i was a 20 year old me yeah. getting together with her um with how far we've come as a society would would that now put me in a place where i would actually be confident in thinking that i can actually go ahead with this relationship and we 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 could get married and we could have kids without Does, too much outside interference do you mean that like your families would be a lot more open minded about it or that you would be stronger to fight against your family i think i think i'd be stronger for it um because i'm i know my dad he he's someone that was never going to change yeah. uh, never going to change his ways his way of thinking some <laughs> no, people just set in their ways <laughs> in concrete um and my mum um my mum was one of those people where she'd been very disappointed and she'd like throw me emotional blackmail just like my mum did back then as well at the same time mm. and try to manipulate me into getting out of this relationship but i know eventually i could potentially wear her down if this is what i wanted to do yeah um but i would not want to get into a relationship with someone 
where I wouldn't have the love and blessing of my family. I think, and I think that was an overriding factor for me and an overriding factor for her as well at the same yeah. time. You know, our families were very, very important to us. And, you know, um, I could have basically gone against their, their thoughts and wishes and, and decided to take up, you know, this myself and potentially had no relationship with my family for all those years. Which but, a lot of people are forced to do. Absolutely. And they're made, they're made to ha- make that choice. Mm. You know, a lot of the time the family loses out. They exactly. think they try and call you bluff, basically. Mm. And it doesn't work a no. lot of the time. Um, which is really, really sad that you would make your child choose between you or the person that they love. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, it can be glaringly obvious that it's not going to work for whatever reason, not because of race, but generally just because of personalities or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you, ha- you have to make that person, you have to let that person make their own mistakes. Yeah. We've seen that in our family and that wasn't even outside of race or anything like that. It's just, you've seen somebody and you think, that person does not belong with this person. Yeah. But you've got to let them do that themselves. Yeah, They've got to yeah. find that out from for themselves because they won't listen to you. Mm-hmm. And if you make somebody choose, you'll probably lose. Yeah, exactly. And and people will learn from it as well. You know, like everyone needs like that heartbreak. Everyone needs like to to fall before they can rise up again. And yeah, and it's not always heartbreak. Sometimes it works. Mm. And sometimes it's a really beautiful thing and they can prove you wrong. Yeah, and exactly. that means that you change your mind and yeah. your mindset about how these things can be. And the fact that actually, you know, marrying someone that that per- your son or your daughter or your friend or your sister or your brother, whoever marrying someone you didn't think that you would want them to marry, but then then seeing them happy mm. can make you think that actually, do you know what? I want to be like that. I want to have a piece of that with whoever it may be. Yeah. Um, but I want to be that happy. But are we actually there yet with black and Asian relationships? No. Um, cause, yeah, <laughs> no, this I think is, a simple answer is no. Yeah, see, because I, you know, I look back on my experience uh, 20 years ago and I look at 20 years later and in terms of the black and Asian communities, we're very similar in terms of our cultural backgrounds, African and Asian or Carib- Afro-Caribbean and Asian, you know, as minority ethnics, basically here in the UK, we've almost endured a very similar, you know, struggle initially, and then, you know, integration, and then, you know, we still have challenges all the time in society today, even, you know, so we do come from very similar, you know, cultural, you know, backgrounds as such. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still very much a real anti-blackness with the Asian community. Yes. Um, you know, it. I've always heard, you know, from, you know, countless times from community events and people, etc., where, you know, parents will say that, you know, um, I don't want my son or daughter to marry anyone that's from our community, Muslim and black, you know? Well, it was the BMW thing, wasn't there? Black, Muslim or white. That's, mm. That used to be the thing when I was younger, when I was a teenager, that's what you used to hear. You don't go for BMWs. But I think, yeah, but I think it became, the, with the white community, it was one of those things where, you know, I wouldn't want them to, but if they do, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, and I, so my family didn't really have a leg to stand on. My parents didn't have a leg to stand on because in my family, I had so many examples of that happening that they... They said to me, don't do it, but they knew they couldn't really 
stand against it because actually we had really good relationships with all the white members of our family. Yeah. So they, you know, it, it didn't really have any leg to stand on in that sense. Mm. But not many people in my family had married uh, a Muslim person. I have one uncle who did that. Um, and there's nobody married to anyone black in my family. Yeah, this is it. Um, you know, so you, you'd almost get frowned upon for, for doing so. And I think even now to this day, I, I probably see more like sort of, you know, Hindu Muslim relationships than I do like South Asian and black yeah. um, because they, they're really few and far between. And I kind of feel that we're, whereas there's still, um, you know, cultural links between the Indian and Pakistani communities, um, there it's almost too vast in terms of people's mentalities for South Asian and black communities to immerse themselves. And so there's still very much a divide, especially with our, the elders in our community. And I don't know, maybe even the young members of our community, I honestly don't know if there's still that underlying, you know, anti-black sentiment there. Which is really interesting because, it, you know, the Asian community, especially the young ones, really like to take on black culture. Yeah. You know, like uh, the music and the clothes and all of that stuff. And, you know, the slang. Yeah. That will all be taken on. But the idea of intermarriage. Yeah. Is quite often kind of, you know, like, oh, no, we can't do that. Mm. That's not possible. You know, my family wouldn't like that. And, and quite often I think that the family thing is an excuse. I think that people are have this um, kind of bias or this prejudice, mm. whether it's conscious or unconscious, it's there. And so people do, they're just like, no, that's not even an option for me. I'm not yeah. going to look at that. I'm not going to do that. And that's really, I mean, that's really wrong Yeah, to absolutely. discriminate against somebody for their race. And that be the only reason why you wouldn't consider them as a partner. Yeah. I think is, is really, really wrong. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, and I don't know whether it's to do with back in the 60s and 70s, you know, and even the 80s and stuff, you know, um, black and Asian communities were very connected with the fight against the far right. Yeah. You know, so I've spoken on numerous shows about the Southall riots. Uh, it was very much, you know, black and Asian communities coming together to fend off the National Front. There was a Brixton riots, obviously, that happened in 81, similarly so. And it almost felt like with the, you know, with the the calming of the sort of the far right, well, say calming, now we're back to that right now. But, you know, it came to a point where once, you know, that sort of subsided, that the communities which were very closely linked then segregated themselves from each other. But I feel like those communities were linked in the sense that um, the men would come together to fight against the common cause. Mm. And so, you know, they were classed as politically black. Everybody, so Asian, black, everyone was classed as politically black. And um, and that was really the only kind of point of unity. And so talking to my dad, and he, he used to be a trade unionist. And so that kind of unity came from the workplace. Mm. The workplace for women was very different, I think. And that unity wasn't there as much so there was never really community cohesion in that sense and they very rarely lived I and mean, i think south is different but in where my family were before we moved to newcastle which is derby i don't think that people um mingled that much even though they lived within the same kind of yeah, communities yeah, yeah. and so i think that's 
partly the reason why we've not seen that kind of growth together. Yeah, yeah. And and hence, you know, we don't see that much in the way of inter-race marriages going on between Asian and, and black people. But also I think because it, like Asians just got really scared of their kids living in this world. And then I think we just closed off. Mm. I think a lot of the Asian community just just closed off it just went you know what no we're having children now and they're going to school with white kids and black kids and they're picking up this slang and they're picking up this kind of attitude and the way that they are and the way they speak and it's all changing and we don't understand that mm. you know we've come from india or pakistan or from bangladesh and we don't understand that and so let's just close in on it now let's just shut our yeah. put the shutters down and not let any mixing ha- happen and i think that has continued that mentality whether we meant to have yeah. it that way or not has continued yeah i think specifically sure for for our parents generation that was absolutely the case and plus they you know they enjoyed a lot coming here anyway um you know having to struggle against you know oppression here in the uk and they did but i think also it's just that they're like they're just really scared of not knowing the culture yeah of course yeah and that their, their kids were able to adapt into this culture because we were born into it mm. and then not really getting it themselves and so the easiest thing they could do was just to take their kids out of that culture yeah or not allow them to be fully part of it what they were growing into hence we had in the 90s that whole kind of who are we kind of moment like yeah, yeah, are we yeah. Asian are we British or what are we what does it mean you know that started in the 90s and just carried on to now yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but there was a big movement in the 90s because of that because we just were confused about our identities and I think that's because we weren't allowed to integrate the way that we could have if our yeah, parents yeah, had yeah. been a bit less worried about us losing our way in terms of understanding our culture like our home motherland culture yeah but also, do you not feel that, you know, we would talk about this whole model minority, um, you know, sort of yeah, state there's, there's label, of basically, that. that, you know, a lot of, especially the Hindu community um, have here in the UK. And so it almost becomes like a, you know, it becomes like a status thing. And then you start to look at like class and, and all these things, basically. And, you know, there's been a lot of the way that the white community have always looked to the black community from you know 50 60 70 years ago i think asians haven't got out of that you know thought process themselves once they've reached that you know that status i think a lot of that comes from the east african immigrants over here and that attitude that they've brought over from africa which was wrong over there and is very wrong over here as well i think that really i mean if you go like i'm guessing like places like leicester and things like where there's a large east african community Mm. um East African Indian community specifically, yeah. yeah. That I think you, that that would be rife. It would be. I can imagine that that attitude is very. Yeah. You know, I don't have that because I didn't. My family didn't come from East Africa. They came directly from India, or they came from Indonesia. Yeah. But that attitude still exists, and I think that's a lot to do with colorism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's that is a huge problem. And you, can you imagine we we already discriminate within our within the Indian community yeah, or yeah. the Asian community based on skin color? So you can imagine what it's like with other ethnicities. It's mm. even worse. Yeah. Um. And also just lack of understanding. Yeah. You know they just don't understand the culture. They don't understand because in India you just didn't see that many black people. 
Well, this is the other thing where we talk about, you know, East East African, um, you know, uh, Indians and stuff like that, and you know the ways they used to, you know, think of of black people and the Africans there. But India is just as bad, if not worse, now. You India know, is horrific for black students. Yeah, for stuff. black students, those yeah. Ghanaian students that were getting, um, you know, beaten up and harassed, you know, a number yeah. of years ago, and I'm sure that still happens to this day. We saw, um, you know, this program on NDTV about you know um Ghanaian students specifically that yeah. were talking about their harrowing experiences you know um studying in, in India and the the um you know, the discrimination that they face on there's a daily a basis of, there's a lot of big universities big universities that are open to you know students from all over the world but they do get a lot of um african students there yeah and the amount of abuse that those people get when they live within those cities. So, it, for instance, in Punjab, there's a there's a university in Jalandhar, yeah, and there's a lot of West African students there, mm. and they get so much abuse. The people have been like guys have been beaten up when they've just gone out to get Shit. some dinner. Yeah. You know, there's girls that have been harassed, mm. um, and you, you know, and touched up and stuff. And it's just it's disgusting. It's the it's. It's this attitude of, well, they're beneath us. Yeah, because you would never see that happen with with white people there. No, there's that fear of, and it's that colonial fear. That's exactly. that hangover, isn't it? Yeah. That they were the people who colonized us. Mm. So we've got to show them a bit of fear and respect. But even that, I think, is disappearing with Modi's India. I mm, think that's yeah. very much a kind of a disappearing attitude of that fear of the foreigner. I think now it's more of a disgust of the foreigner. In yeah, it's just well, far right is quite yeah. rife in India just as, as much as it is here in the Western world. And I think honest. prejudice is just growing within our community rather than getting better. I mean, when we tried to get married, we couldn't because we weren't allowed to get married in the Sikh temple because they didn't approve of a girl mm. having her own choice. So now imagine that's just... It's it been multiplied like yeah. 10 to 100 fold if there was a, a black they, person. In they told Asian us, oh, if you put Singh in your name, we can pretend that you're Sikh. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm not doing that. Mm. My, my husband's not Sikh. So it's the same thing, isn't it? You know, can you, like, it's just, it would be, yeah, tenfold worse. Yeah. Yeah, they have been few and far between, but there have been instances, and I'm sure many uh, instances, of a happy relationship between uh, a black and South Asian person. We were lucky enough to speak to one of them today. Yep, so we spoke to Rena from the Sisterhood of Mummy Imperfect podcast. Yeah, shout to Rena. We I've been on there with you once, but you've also been on there for a number of times. Yeah, just given my, you know, views on mummy dumb. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, she's kindly spoke to us um about her relationship with her husband who she's been married to for 13 years, but Big up. but together with for 18 years. Even better. Yeah. Uh, her husband is of Ghanaian background, born and brought brought up here. Mm-hmm but with Ghanaian heritage. Awesome. Well, this is our interview with her earlier today. Hey, Rina, how's it going? Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to chat to you guys again. Um, so you've been together with your husband for 18 years now, which is amazing. But how long into your relationship did you actually tell your family about the two of you? And were you apprehensive about telling them? So I told my family about my relationship Um, just about like four or five months into the relationship and I wasn't supposed to tell them so soon because that is quite early and obviously then when you tell your parents it gets quite serious because you know then you can't just be messing around going out with somebody well not like in my family Um, and you know we're quite a traditional Indian family in that way like if you go out with somebody you better be thinking about getting married to them so then we had to deal with that like you know think about marriage and all these kind of things so anyway um, my parents were just um, they were had this Rishta lined up for me to see. And it was somebody who I actually 
was willing to meet before obviously getting into a relationship with my husband. And then when it came to actually meeting them, they and I said I wasn't interested anymore, they kind of thought, well, what is up with her? Because I was open to having an arranged marriage or even meeting somebody from India. I was I was just very open to doing that. And it's just by chance, you know, I happened to meet my husband and, and, and hit it off and just had a special connection. So um, anyway, so my I think of my sister that actually kind of outed me to them, but they weren't very happy about it um, at all, really. Um, it took like a year for them to come around to even meeting him. And was their reaction what you thought it would be? I think I was quite surprised about my parents' reaction. Like I knew that they'd not be happy, but then I kind of had a glimmer of hope that they might be okay because they'd given me this hierarchy um, of people that I could marry if I wanted to have a love marriage. They, so they were liberal enough to say, okay, you can choose someone yourself, but then it had to be like, okay, within our community first, if you can't find anyone within our community, then, you know, just some a Hindu person or Punjabi person, you know, Hindu or Sikh and not a Muslim. That was just a big no. And then it was like, okay, um, any other Indian person, or an Asian person, not a Muslim. And then if you can't find anyone like that, then it could be a white person, nice English boy. Uh, if you can't find a nice English boy, then kind of any other race around the world, still not Muslim. But um, if tried, try to stay away from black people. But, you know, if you can't help it, okay, but not Muslim. So that was what the advice was. So I was kind of thought, okay, he's not Muslim. Yes, he is black, but um, I, can't, I don't know. Like, for me the the kind of tick box thing that my parents had in their own minds and had told me about like you know a guy has to be educated they have to treat you well they have to have a nice family this that you know um got to have their head screwed on right be respectful and all this he kind of ticked all the boxes so I kind of thought you know what okay he's actually what they would find for me themselves but he's just the wrong race in their eyes um anyway they were not happy at all it took about a year for them to come around to meeting him um and I think I was surprised that like how Bollywoodish Bollywood dramafied their reactions were like oh you know we're not keeping well these days and this is a lot of stress on us and you know what about your sisters and all this and it was very hard to to cope with to be honest it was quite, um quite stressful but like after some time they I, I don't know how but um, the news got through to my grandmas, uh, one in India and one here, and they just said, uh, is he a good boy? Does he treat her right? Is he educated? And is he from a nice family? And so the answers to all those were yes. And then they just said, well, let I marry him then. And I think that's because they had tried to arrange marriages with some of my uncles and aunts, and they hadn't really gone too well, some of them, you know, um, some of them had just ended up in disaster. And then maybe like, as they got older, they probably just didn't give a crap anymore about what people think or just thought, you know, um, we now know what is important, let her just be happy, he's a good person. And I think that actually is what made my parents more open to the whole idea. Well, that's actually refreshingly positive to know that the elder community, the grandparents are the ones that were <laughs> more, you know, receptive to it. But what's the reaction been like from like your extended family and and also the, the wider British Asian community as well? Because my grandmas were on board and then my parents were kind of when they got to know my husband and they they liked him, you know, um, and then they 
had to stand up and say, okay, this is what our daughter's doing. She is marrying this guy. He's a good person. You know, we're happy with it. And what can people say? You know, nobody actually said anything after that. Like my dad is the eldest, the eldest son in his family. Um, my mom is the eldest daughter in her family. So no one really said that much. And I think there were probably more um, like distant relatives um, like my mom's uncles and stuff who weren't very happy that didn't come to the wedding but there was not it wasn't a big deal like they didn't try to dissuade my parents really I just think they probably just thought bad of us and I think people probably still do think bad of us however our wedding was amazing like we thought that nobody would want to come to our wedding really but then it was it was so good it was just like a really nice day filled with so much love like you know obviously my husband's family was all there like my family came from India from America and it was just a really beautiful occasion um so yeah uh other than that I don't I haven't really had any negative reactions from people like even now I know that there's people who like my friends parents and stuff who have you know they say hello to my husband think he's a nice guy you know still nice to me and my kids and stuff but I know I know that they'd be like well my kids never doing that you know I'm not stupid I know that and I've probably given a lot of people a lot of gossip for years to come. Often some of the fear of mixed relationships from the older generation can be to do with kids and you know that question of well what culture will your kids be part of then if they're mixed um you've got three kids yourself do you think your children connect with both of the cultures that they're part of so with the older generation there is that fear of mixed relationships and what are your kids going to be like my mom and dad said it to me when I when I was talking about the fact that I wanted to get married to my husband they they were like well what are your kids going to be what they're going to be and what are they going to know but it's difficult because these things cross my mind as well. You know, I remember being preg- pregnant with my first child and saying to my husband, oh my God, are we screwing up our kids? Like, why are we having kids? They're going to end up mad and messed up because they're not going to belong to this culture or that culture. And he was just like, look, you know what? You can't think like that because they're just going to be who they are. And we just have to educate them about both cultures. And kind of um, what makes me feel better about the whole thing is that um, we have very close family ties on both sides. So, you know, we're very much uh, a, a part of my husband's family and, you know, always going to see them. They're coming to our house and then my family I'm very, very close to. So they're learning a lot from both sides. Um, Like I said, we've been to India as a family two times and we will go to Ghana as well. And I just feel like, you know what, they will face prejudices. They will question their identity at some point. But I want to just give them all that information um, so they're not lacking anything because people that I've known who are mixed race and, and have got a complex about it, sometimes they've been brought up by one parent who is a different colour to them, like looks different from them and haven't had any um, anything to do with one side of the family. So that's one culture missing. And I'm kind of hoping that that won't happen because we are exposing them to two cultures a lot. And, you know... We are both quite into our cultures, more me than him, I'd say, because, you know, I'm, I've just grown up like going to India a lot as a kid. I did Bharatanatyam. I was a kid that sang bhajans in the temple and stuff. Um, You know, I speak Punjabi, Hindi and stuff. And I'm trying to teach them these things as well. You know, I speak to them in Punjabi a lot. Um, I'm trying to teach them Hindi. Um, And I think, well, I'm just hoping that this knowledge will just make them feel a bit more secure about themselves. 
And if I think about it, there are actually some British Asian kids as well who question their identity because it's like, well, you know, we don't feel like we have anything to do with India and, you know, or we're not connected to our religion. We don't know our language. And even some of some of my friends, their the kids don't know Punjabi or Hindi or anything and they, they just they've got no interest in it. So I just think even if you are like if you if you're both Asians in the couple, if you're both Indian, if you're both from the same caste, the same same community, it doesn't mean your kids are going to be any more well grounded than anybody else. And the main things I think with bringing kids into the world are, um, you know, you've got to teach them like the basics, like kindness and courage um, to do the right thing, to just be a good person, to make a positive contribution to society. Because believe me, there's not that many people that actually even know what that is. One thing I think is important to to point out with the kids uh, being mixed cultures is that I think the black community is more accepting of people who have got black heritage and are not 100% black you know and I think the Indian community is more they just they just want to point out that you're not one of them really and that's the way it is you know but there's too many layers of discrimination because I'm not saying that there isn't in that in the Ghanaian community in the African community but you know in the Indian community it's like caste um religion what area you're from like do you even speak the same language as you know Punjabi person and Tamil person you know oh my god they're so different and then it's like um skin color as well um so there's just layer upon layer of discrimination and then obviously if you're then you know half a different race then that's another another reason why some Asian people can be like oh you're not one of us then so I think that might happen and it's really sad because you know, I don't feel, I feel like there's no need to do that. I just, you know, it, it's weird. It's, you, you know, they could be welcoming. And I think with white people, they are more welcoming. And I, it's a colonial footprint. You know, there's always that thing of, oh, you know, but white people are always right and they're all right. Come on, Ajol and Grizz, Ajol. But it's just ridiculous. Um, you know, even when we went to India, yes, the family was all fine and, they all got on with my husband and we had a great time. But, you know, going out and about, people stared. Yeah, I mean, you know, people stare in India anyway. But obviously our family is like, oh my God, wow, it's like an Indian woman and a black guy and they've got kids and this is what the kids look like. So yeah, there was a lot of um, staring, which, which was one of the downsides. But like I said, I just think that it would just be so nice if the Indian community, Asian community, would be more welcoming of people who were of different races and the and the children of those marriages as well. It's actually, you know, a strength to to welcome people in and say you're one of us, you know, otherwise you're just going to be divisive and your community is going to get smaller, actually. So if we come full circle, do you actually think it's easier now for South Asian people to tell their families that they're in, in a relationship with a black person? Do you think there's actually more acceptance for it now i don't think that it is easier now for people for south asian people to tell their family that they're in a relationship with a black person i don't think there's more acceptance i really don't like i said my friend's parents and you know other uncles and aunties look at me and they like my husband okay how are you yeah nice to see you whatever but they wouldn't want that for their kids or their grandkids i know they wouldn't you know I am probably viewed as some anomaly, like, okay, well, she's with like quite a nice black man, that's all right, and the kids are nice and good for them, but no, not our kids, not our grandkids. 
I don't know any parents who would be okay with it other than mine. Maybe, no, I actually don't. I don't. Because these days, I think people are still quite divisive. You know, people, some people have a problem with the term British Asian or South Asian. It's like, no, excuse me, I'm actually like Sikh Punjabi. Oh, you know, I'm actually Hindu Tamil. So there's more kind of divisiveness and wanting to be part of a small little subgroup. So then when it, when you're talking about accepting other people from different races into your family, I think it is still a big problem. And I don't really know how we can overcome that. I don't. Um, I mean, with some of my friends, I've challenged them and I said, Look, how would you, what would you do if your kid came home with somebody who was black? And obviously they have to say, oh, yeah, I'd be fine with it. But then really, I'm like, well, I don't know if you actually would, because, you know, you've got your in-laws, they'll be saying things to you. You've got other elders and they'll be saying things as well. And how it's, it's a lot to stand up and say, OK, this is what we're doing in our family. We're doing things a bit differently. I don't know how many people would do that. I really don't. Thank you so much, Tarina, for giving us some insight into how things worked for her when she told her family uh, about her mixed race relationship. Yeah. And her podcast, The Sisterhood of Mummy Imperfect, is out on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Jojo B has been a guest on a few occasions now, but she's had an array of amazing women on there for a number of weeks now. So go out and support her podcast as well. Yeah, it's a really good listen. I'm it an is. avid listener now. Very good. But, you know, she raised a, a lot of interesting points in the things that she discussed there. Um, you know, her family were, you know, as most families would be, not very receptive initially. And then they came round. But, you know, there's still a lot of, you know, hurdles and obstacles that the family have had to face. And when you do have children, it opens up a whole new dialogue about you know what direction you know you go in culturally sometimes and what kind of future that they're going to have and it's it's crazy you know like you know we talk about getting involved in a relationship with someone you don't think about all these things and you know later on at a point you have a child and all of a sudden it opens up you know a whole gamut of different issues and and uh, you know things to think about i think my piece of advice if you are in a relationship whatever kind of relationship you're in is maybe when it gets to a serious point, do have those conversations yeah. a little bit. Have a little bit of foresight into these things just so you're on the same page. Yeah. Um, you never know until it actually happens. Mm. But we had those kind of conversations. And this is only on a mini scale of slightly yeah, different, yeah, yeah. you know, slightly different culture, different religions. Religion, yeah. But we had things that we were strong strongly kind of passionate about for the future of our children and some things that we weren't so much. Mm. Generally, we were on the same page, so it kind of worked out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, that's just general relationship advice from me. Have those chats. <laughs> exactly. Don't be yeah. scared of them. Communication is very, very important. And with, you know, like a, a still a long-standing taboo like this one, which like all the rest of the taboos that we speak about on, on this podcast, you know, we should be at the point now, you know, it's 2020 where these conversations shouldn't really be happening because it shouldn't be so much of an issue but it still is and i think that prejudice is always underlying um amongst all ages of our community i feel um you know still to this day there's still elements of segregation with our communities uh, away from the wider uk society 
um, and even more so against, you know, I'd say the the black community, you know, the, and it's 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 disappointing because we share a lot of the same struggles as a minority yeah. race in the UK. Yeah, shared experience of what it's like to be non-white in a white country, majority yeah. white country, and to be from a country that was colonized. Exactly. Yeah. By the country that you now live in mm. you know those are things that we all share and those are experiences that are you know our ancestors all had to deal with and i think that remains within our culture and i don't think that's appreciated by both sides i think quite often that it's you know they the, the people try to seek out the differences rather than the commonalities that we have yeah yeah it's trying to trying to nitpick in the specific things you know, rather than looking at the bigger picture sometimes, um, you know, and like I said, you know, things have got better, I'd say over the course of that time, but there's still, I don't know, I've, I've still feel that there's black and Asian relationships are so few and far between. And, you know, I'd have thought by this point, because of how much we've integrated the UK society, you know, these kind of things would be more of a norm because of how closely connected our communities are hmm. but we're still you know yards apart basically mentalities need to change um ideologies need to change you know and in the generalization with the british asian community um and you know i'm hoping that you know 20 years ago i was in that relationship it could have been very different if it had it been 20 years later to, to this day oh could and it I, have been given what rena said and the fact that she doesn't think there has been any change well yeah you know, true. would the outcome have been any different potentially not potentially not but hopefully in 20 years time from now we don't need to have these conversations because these things are just the norm and you well know. you know that's when we'll be the parents who will no doubt have an opinion on who our son brings home, but hopefully that will not be, race will not be something that we have an opinion on. Yes. You know, there can be lots of other things, personality traits that we might not like. Yeah. But someone's ethnicity, their race will not, should not. And, you know, from my point, I know, will not matter. Yeah. Yeah. If they're a United fan, then we might have to start thinking otherwise. Well, yeah, or a Sunderland fan. Oh, God forbid. Jeez. Um, but an interesting uh, movement that's happening in the States um, is the Blindian Project. And they're on a mission to unite Black and South Asian communities through innovative first-person storytelling, culture-shifting art, music, and experiential events. And they're actually holding an event on the 30th of this month called Rum and Roti. And it's basically just celebrating like-minded Black and Asian folk and celebrate our excellence together, which is their exact words. Um, and it's going to be on their IG page. Donny Brasco, our friend, will be uh, providing the music oh, wow. for this event. Um, and so that is on their IG page, which is at Blindian Project. So it's great that the states have acknowledged that this is, you know, a, a normality almost in a way, and they're, you know, they're embracing it and shifting the, the power of the culture forward. Um, whereas I think, you know, here we were trying to look at, you know, potential articles and, you know, some stats and some, you know, things that, you know, to do with black and Asian relationships. And we legitimately could not find anything. There was nothing. There was a couple of anecdotal things. And even then, like 
I say a couple, I found one mm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> from this country. So there's not really much conversation around it. There's not, there's no statistics that I could find around yeah. it. So I think we need to talk about it. The more that yeah. we start talking about it, the more we normalize it and the more it's fine. And the more that think, you know, things like we see on, on Netflix with the lovebirds, the yeah. more we see that. Exactly. And it's, you know, not a thing. They're just a couple their race isn't really talked about. Nothing is, you know, the differences in their races is not mentioned at all. Yeah. They're just a couple in love. And that's what we need to see to be mm. able to normalize these things in the wider world. Once we get used to seeing them, it's okay. Exactly. Yeah, indeed. Well, we've actually come full circle on this particular conversation. Um, but let us know your thoughts. You know, our social medias are always open to dialogue and discussion. So get at us on at Native Immigrants with a single M on Twitter and at the Native Immigrants podcast on Instagram. You know, share us your thoughts. You know, we'd love to know and follow us, obviously, on both those platforms. And if you haven't, do so and tell a friend to tell a friend. Right. Well, that is it from this week's episode of the Native Immigrants We'll be back next week for more of the same. I'm Swami Barakas. And I'm Jojo B. And we'll see you all then, people. Peace. Peace.